You know, once you get saved, you're a believer now. You're in the family of God. And so this waiting time really spans our whole Christian life. It really does. And as we said last night in Titus 2.13, we're looking, we're waiting for that blessed hope and the glorious, glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're waiting for Him. And while we're waiting, it's a time of growth. We should be growing in our Christian life. That's understand, like we talked last night, understanding and knowing God. So is growth taking place in your Christian life? I hope it is. I'm sure it is. But the more we're waiting on the Lord to come back, we should be growing. It's also a focus time, this waiting time. Our Christian life, it should be a focus time. We're to focus on Him and really what life is all about. It's not about us. It's all about Him. But we get our focus out of whack. And as Melanie was saying a while ago about uh, Miss Bernie's session, our thinking is crazy. We truly, I mean, our thinking can get so out of whack, ladies. We take on the thoughts of the world around us without even knowing it. And God's Word has a lot to say about that. So our focus needs to be right and ever more precise during this waiting time as we're walking through this journey of our Christian life. And then this waiting time also is a surrendering time where we surrender our will. That's sign language for surrender is this. You know, the old Westerns, you know, gun on you. What do you do? You do it's a surrender. Don't, don't do anything to me. You know, I'm, I'm surrendering to you, whatever you want. Well, our Christian life is to be a surrendered life. Day by day, learning to say no to ourself and our sinful ways and saying yes to Him and His Word. Uh, and also, this waiting time is full of experiences. Lots and lots and lots of experiences. And through all of these experiences, that's what this weekend's about, this anchored in hope. These experiences of our life that we find ourselves in, whether they're happy experiences or whether they're hard, trying experiences, they're all there. God gives them to us so we can find that He is all we need in every experience of life. So, I've entitled our lesson today, Experiencing Hope. Experiencing Hope. And what I'm going to share with you today is something the Lord has so blessed my heart with uh, for many years now, many, many years. I kind of referenced it last night when I talked about how I came to my journaling. You know, something was going on in my heart and mind. I just felt like I really needed to, to know God. Well, during that time, the Lord brought Psalm 91 to my attention it's my favorite psalm. I love that psalm. And we're going to go just through the first four verses today. That's what we're going to do of Psalm 91. And we're going to see how God comforts us. We have our part, and He has His part. Okay, my favorite psalm. Nothing has so refreshed my soul and brought hope to my heart than the truth that this psalm reveals 
These are not just words of general truth to me. These are words that I have embraced probably over the last 25 years of my life. Have I been perfect with them? No. And if you're honest with yourself, you're not perfect either. For real. But they have, they have gripped my heart. And I've learned a truth that has helped me through the messiness of life, through the hardships of life. So Psalm 91, 1 through 4, let's read that. I have memorized the psalm, but don't ask me to quote it right now. I need to refresh it. But Psalm 91, 1 through 4 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Can everybody hear me? Okay. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou, thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Oh, Psalm 91. I just love it. Moses said of Psalm 90, Moses was the author. We don't know who the author of Psalm 91 was. It's not given. A lot of times in your, in your Bibles, right under the, the uh, number of the psalm, it'll say Psalm 91, and it'll give who wrote it under it. There's not one for this particular psalm. We don't know. But Moses wrote the one right before. He wrote Psalm 90. (gasps) Leave it. Okay. It's okay. It's not broken. Sorry, Pastor Lynn. Don't tell him. No. (laughs) Oh, okay. Do what is on camera. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> good, good. Okay, just audio, that's good. Okay, where was I again? Oh, Moses wrote Psalm 90. And I think there's a correlation here with Psalm 90 and Psalm 91. And in fact, I don't know if any of you, I'm going to be quoting some from Spurgeon today. Because when I was studying this, this this lesson has been in my repertoire of lessons for a long time. And I share this lesson on average more than any other lesson I share. Um, so this this is the only one that's a, a rerun. <laughs> Last night's and this, this afternoon's will, are brand new. But this is a rerun, but it is freshened for our time here with you. But... Spurgeon has a, had, did a collection of study on psalm, the Psalms, and it's called Treasury of David. I don't know if any of you have ever studied through and read his commentary. you got to get Treasury of David. Next time you go through the Psalms, just to read. Spurgeon, that brilliant mind, and just, you know, as a disclaimer here, you're going to have to read it and then reread it again, and then maybe reread it again to get what he's saying. He was such a brilliant mind. But he was able to help us understand so much about the Psalms. It's called, it is truly a treasure. Treasury of David. You can get it. Uh, you can get it with a, an app online, I think. Not an app, but whatever that's called. You know what I'm talking about. And they're also in printed form. In fact, we, we have them both. We have them online, and then my husband has it. There's like 
two or three volumes, thick volumes. He goes through every verse of every psalm. It is amazing. It truly is. So I'm going to be quoting him a lot because what he said of everybody I read meant the most to me. Uh, and he said that maybe he said that the old Jewish rabbis, maybe from the the Sanhedrin, I can't remember exactly what he said, think that Moses very possibly did write Psalm 91. I think you can see it as you go through that psalm, you can see maybe Moses going through the wilderness with the children of Israel and all the things that happened, all the miracles, all the pe- you know the people they defeated, um, you know the battles that were going on. And I understand chaplains in our armed forces here in the United States will often use Psalm 91 as a, a help to the soldiers, especially when they're going out into battle. Uh, but Moses said in Psalm 90, verse 1, he said, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Wow. He said there about that verse, to the saints, the Lord Jehovah, the self-existent God, stands instead of mansion and roof tree. He shelters, he comforts, he protects, he preserves, and he cherishes all his own. And then in, in Psalm 91, he says at the beginning of that psalm, he said, this psalm gives reasons for expecting present and future mercies. Obviously, the first initial interpretation of this psalm would be for the millennial kingdom, things that will happen. Because we can't take, you know, okay, he's going to physically protect me from every little thing, Okay. Now, he does, if he chooses to, he delivers us. And we see God's protection every day. But the psalm gives us this hope that it's for the here and now as well, not just for future times. So Spurgeon says, this psalm gives reason for expecting present and future mercies, as the psalmist did when he describes the safety of those who dwell with God. You know, ladies, as believers... We find our home in God himself. He is our dwelling place. Correlating passage in the New Testament would be John 15, the abiding chapter. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you know, things like that. We're going to talk about that a little bit a little later. But our home is with God himself. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about dwelling in the secret place. Ladies, this is true fellowship. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one particular point because we talked about it last night. This is just a building of that. Dwelling in the secret place, true fellowship. The first verse of Psalm 91 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The secret place, ladies, is where God lives. That's what the secret place is. It is a special place of fellowship with our God. So what it says there, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. Spurgeon says, if you will, it's something like God's private apartment. Now Spurgeon lived in the 1800s, so he has a little different vocabulary than what we use. But um, he says it's kind of like God's private, it's where he dwells. 
and he that dwelleth in the secret place. That means we live in continuous communion with God. Continuous communion. You're dwelling. That means you're remaining there. He's never out of your gaze, ever. There was an old uh, missionary that I had met years and years ago, and I heard him speak several times, and I can't even remember his name right now. He's with the Lord now. But when I knew him, he was in his 90s, and he was home from the mission field. And I remember hearing him one time, and he said, he practices the presence of God every hour. This is something he purposes to do. He'll stop during an hour, and he will bring his mind to think about God being with him in that moment of that day. And he on purpose did it every hour. Now, that was a discipline. That was a true di- But this man, you, you got around him. His presence was so, you know, he was bigger than life. He was a tall man, for one thing. I mean, a very tall. And his voice commanded your attention. Because, but his demeanor was so filled with the presence of God that you knew it when you got around him. And when he said that, I thought, wow, that is something. And I've done it for a while, not very long, because I forget. But I would love, I need to get back to doing that, just to stop as often as I think of it in the day and realize God is here. Am I listening to the Holy Spirit's even little little tugs in my heart. Because I can find myself, I like to talk. I don't know if y'all can tell that. I do like to talk. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit of an extrovert with introvert tendencies. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's who I am. <laughs> and, uh, and so when I'm ready to talk, I can talk. I have a son like that as well. But, um, you know, as I as I think about the Lord and I think about what he's done in my life, I want to be able to express that and be able to share what God is doing and give him all the glory for what he's doing and stay so close to him in that it, it's evident. It permeates who I am, and I'm a far piece from that. And I know we all are, but this man was such a blessing as he would walk through life touching others because he, prom- he practiced the presence of God in his life. And I so want to do that too. So when we dwell in the sa- secret place, we are dwelling or living in continuous communion. But I want you to know also, ladies, that the operative word in the phrase, he that dwelleth, in the secret place, the operative word of that phrase is dwelleth. Because the psalmist is referring to the people, this is what Spurgeon said, he's referring to the people who choose to live in close fellowship with God. It's a choice. You see? Uh, You choose to do more than just your duty. You seek after God. You desire to truly know Him and live in His presence. Um, God calls us to communion with Him. Psalm 25, 14 says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. So the secret place is this intimate, personal communion 
where we lay out before God all of our hopes, dreams, anxieties, fears, distresses, and he communes with us. He's there with us, talking with us. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 13 through 14 says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. Spurgeon said, The blessings here promised in Psalm 91 are not for all believers. Isn't that shocking? I remember when I read that, I thought, They're not for all believers, but for those, only for those who live in close fellowship with God. We were going through a Chick-fil-A drive-thru one time, and uh, the gal at the window when we were picking up our stuff, I mean, as she reached to give our stuff, she had a big tattoo on her arm that said, Psalm 91. And my husband looked at her and said, oh, Psalm, that is a great chapter in the Bible. She goes, oh, I love it. She was very demonstrative. I lo- she had been in the military. And she had gotten that tattoo because she said, you can't imagine how comforting that is. you know." And I, I wanted to say, do you know, really know the Lord? Can you really claim the promises in this chapter? But I didn't. It wasn't for me to say at that point. There were other people behind us needing their food, you know. So we couldn't just sit there and chat like I need, like to talk. But, um, but I thought, wow, Psalm 91. It affects a lot of people, but it's not for everybody. It's for only those who choose to dwell. There's the promises that come afterwards from choosing to dwell in his presence. So the secret place is a special place of fellowship with God. But it's also, this is one thing I wanted to get to. The secret place is also the place of trust. It's the place of trust. I believe the passage here bears that out. It says there in in verse 2, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Verse 4 says, He shall cover thee with his feathers. Isn't that a beautiful imagery? He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. Um, saw a picture one time on Facebook. Somebody put this verse, and they had a picture of a bird with the wings spread out. You may have seen it. Uh, I've seen it more than once. And underneath that mama bird's wings were two little baby birds. What a beautiful picture. And underneath his wings, oh, and all the things his wings provide, we trust. We trust. That's what hope is all about. Hope comes because we trust the one who gives it to us, as we talked about last night. We trust God, the ultimate authority in our life. Dwelling equals trusting. Um, I was in a meeting one time with my husband, and one night after the service, a lady, I didn't know her, I'd never met her before, this was the first time we'd ever been in this church, and it was in Iowa, the Des Moines area, and she came up to me, and she had a book in her hand, and she said, Mrs. Gleiser, I really feel impressed the Lord wants me to give you this book, and I said, oh, well, thank you, 
I will enjoy reading it. And the title of the book was The God of All Comfort by Hannah Whitehall Smith. Have any of you read any of Hannah Whitehall Smith's books? She has written Christian classics down through the ages. It's very godly lady, but a lady that went through a lot of trials in her life, a whole lot of trials. Uh, she wrote the ultimate Christian classic. I remember when I was in college being told by one of our professors, you know, you need to read the, the uh, oh, why it just went of a happy Christian life. Anyway, he wrote that one too. Something of a happy Christian life. Why did that just, secrets, secrets, thank you. The secrets of a happy Christian, he was saying, you need to read this book, you need to read, and I never did. I just never read it. I was busy doing everything else. Well, Hannah wrote that book, and she wrote The God of All Comfort. And now I have read both books. I read The God of All Comfort first, because that was the one given to me, and then I realized she had written, and it was like, oh, yeah, Dr. Fremont told us about The the Secrets of a Happy Christian Life, and I never read it. So I went back and read it. Books are almost identical, (laughs) to tell you the truth. But there was a difference in The God of All Comfort to The Secrets of a Happy Christian Life. She was in her 40s when she wrote The Secrets of a Happy Christian Life. She was in her 60s when she wrote The God of All Comfort. And I didn't know that when I read the two books. But I saw, I kept thinking, there's something different about these. And the difference was when she got to her 60s with all the experiences of life she had had, and I'll tell you a little bit about them in a minute, all the experience of life, there was a pathos in the God of all comfort, a true trusting God. You could see it. Can't read it. I mean, there again, she she lived in the 1800s, and I think the early. Well, she may have died right before the 19. I can't remember. But the, even though the book is old, and she lived a long time ago, except for a few scientific things that have changed, it is right on, right on target. But I could tell the difference. When she wrote in her 40s, it was more academic sounding. These, this is truth, this is truth, this is truth, this is truth. And it was. Everything she said was truth. But 60s, there was a whole different temperature or temperament, maybe I should say, in the book because of what she had known. She understood who the God of all comfort truly was. Um, Hannah, her husband, a preacher, left her for another woman. There was that heartbreak. Hannah had a lot of kids by him. I'm, I'm, I can't remember exactly how many. I read a little autobiography about her later. Um, the number 17 keeps coming to my mind. 17 kids. Can you imagine? She had a lot of kids. Now, maybe not, I mean, I can't remember specifically, so don't hold me to that number, but it was a lot. It was a whole lot. I mean, 12 is a lot. <laughs> but um, I have a friend who's had 14 kids, uh, and she's my age. And she was like, oh, my, I only had two. How did you have 14? But um, anyway, five of her children died early in life. You know, they died. Now, that's a heartache for a mother. Oh. And then several of her other kids at one point in life literally turned their back on God. 
They totally walked away from God in the Bible. Now, there's, there, there can't be anything more devastating to a mom, especially a Christian mom's heart, to have your kids totally reject the God that you love. And then, of course, your children die. You're supposed to die before your kids, you know, in our way of thinking. But she went through a lot. Hannah went through a whole lot of stuff. And here she's writing this book, The God of All Comfort. And thing, one thing that really caught my attention... What she said in The God of All Comfort, she said a lot, um, but what she said was about this dwelling, she referenced Psalm 91, which it was like, ah, oh, she's talking about Psalm 91, you know. And what she referenced in there, she said, she's the one that said and brought this to my attention, the secret place is the place of trust. I had always, it had always piqued my attention I kept thinking, I know the secret place is where you have your time with the Lord, is where you go and you be along with, alone with Him. And yes, it is. Yes, it is. But in my, the back of my mind, it was always, there's got to be something more about the secret place. There has to be something more. And as Hannah brought out in that book, it's the place of trust, where you trust God for every interest of your life. We as moms... You know, those of you that aren't moms yet, you're going to find out. We have loves and interests in our lives. Our husband and our, our family is the biggest, usually, aside from our walk with the Lord. And Hannah had had heartache in both of those areas. And yet she said, when you walk into that presence and you choose to dwell with God, you take all of your loves with you into that place with God. You take your husband, you take your kids. You, this is she's talking about spiritually, emotionally. You're ta and you're bringing them into that and you're trusting God for those lives no matter what happens. And this is a big thing. It truly is. And she said, "Don't allow yourself to walk out of that secret place, to quit trusting. Don't even head toward the door." When you're tempted to fret and worry over a wayward child, over a husband that has an illness, uh, anything like that, you keep your focus on God and His Word and His promises, and they will get you through because He truly does hold us fast in every area of our lives. And when Hannah said that, I thought, that's it. That's the secret place where we get to the point where we realize dwelling with God is a moment-by-moment -moment thing, and we trust Him for every interest in our lives. What causes you to fear, ladies? What, oh, what would be a good word? Uh, what do you hold on in your life that if it was taken away from you, Maybe put it this way, what idol do you have in your life that is so important to you that you don't even want to think about if you didn't have that thing anymore? What would it be? Well, I can say my family has been revealed to be one of my idols. We really have. Because I want things for my boys and their children. Uh, my husband... I don't, I don't want anything to happen to him anymore. I don't. I can be a big idol in my life. 
Well, the question is, am I trusting them into God's hands? Am I? I want to. And it's a battle. It's a choice I have to make. He that dwelleth. It's my choice and it's your choice to know the peace and comfort God can give no matter what's going on as we bring all the loves, all the interest of our life, all the things that if they were taken away from us, we would be totally devastated. We bring them into his presence with him and we trust him for their lives. There can be no true dwelling in his presence aside from completely trusting what he says. Um, the God of All Comfort by Hannah Whitehall Smith is in and out of print all the time. It's an old book. It's a classic book. But a lot of times you can find it on, um, you can Google it, find it on Amazon, things like that. Um, I was going to bring a, a copy to show it to you, but I had several books I wanted to bring, and I ended up only bringing one. So I didn't bring it. But it's a great book. Um, so ladies, question. Are you dwelling in God's presence? Are you practicing His presence? Are you trusting Him? Only there will you know the blessings of safety from the storms of life. Only there will the peace of God flood your soul. Don't just run there in dire necessities. That lady that gave me that book that night had no idea what I was going through. But I was going through a time that I needed to trust God. Because it was that time. Honestly, it was a physical thing going on in my body. Is what it was. And it had my thinking screwed up. It really did. And that, she had no idea, but the Holy Spirit is the one that told her to give me that book. And what a blessing it was in my life. So experiencing hope that we're talking about is dwelling in the secret place. That's our part. True fellowship with God. Now the rest of it is all God's part. What he does. This is the hope that he gives us for the here and now. Okay? So, the next thing, we have dwelling in the secret place, then abiding under his shadow. Abiding. This is our promise of protection. Our promise of, if we dwell, then we will live under his shadow. Uh, this is where our trusting is rewarded. Psalm 91.1 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, notice, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's a statement of fact. You will abide under His shadow. Anyone who chooses to dwell in the secret place of God will be sheltered and protected by the all-covering shadow of Almighty God Himself. Wow. Where the shadow is, God is. Wow. What a wonderful promise. Notice the protection is constant. Shall abide. Constant. Continuing action. God promises continued protection. Number two, the protection is all sufficient. It comes from the power of Almighty God under the shadow of the Almighty. And the protection, but I should say the protection is conditional. We have to choose to dwell. We must walk very close to someone if we want their shadow to fall on us. Think about that. If we want somebody's shadow to fall on us, you have to be pretty close to them. So, are you walking close to the Lord? Okay, so dwelling in the secret place, abiding under His shadow, and then number three, 
finding his refuge. Finding his refuge. This is experiencing his comfort. Refuge is a peaceful, quiet resting place. Very often in life do you find yourself at rest, at peace? Probably not. That's where stress comes in. Megan's going to nail everybody to the wall that goes there. That's where stress comes in, in life. We're not very peaceful, especially when a lot is going on. We can be short with people around us. In fact, the people we love the most usually fill our shortness, <laughs> our ugliness. They fill it, and we love them the most, but yet we hurt them the most because we're so stressed that we don't, and I won't talk a lot about it because I know it'll take away from what you're going to say. But anyway, finding his refuge is finding that peaceful, quiet place. There in verse 2, it says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. Here the psalmist is giving us a testimony of God's faithfulness. He says, I will say of the Lord, he has found that secret place, that restful refuge, that peaceful. And so he's given a testimony of it. We must run to the Lord for comfort. It's also a shelter from attacks. That is the fortress, the spiritual, emotional, physical, and mental attacks, running to the Lord and finding his refuge. And that he is our refuge and fortress means that we are safe from a spiritual, emotional, physical, and mental attacks. Now, it doesn't mean that the attacks don't come. They do come. What it means, ladies, is God will keep your heart and mind while you're going through it. I mean, our mind is our biggest battlefield. The thinking aspect is so huge, and we just think erroneous thoughts so much. But God will help us to be able to keep those thoughts stayed on Him if we're dwelling in His secret place. He gives us that. He gives us His comfort. And also, it's a pronouncement of fact. My God is all I need. I love Psalm 84, 5 through 7. Have you ever read the psalm or thought about meditating on the psalm? Uh, part of the psalm, it says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, talking about God, and whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. When it says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, whose heart, in whose heart are the ways of them, then it says, who passing through the valley of Baca. Do you know what the valley of Baca was? It was a valley of weeping, a valley of tears. So, who passing through the valley of, of Baca, this valley of weeping and tears, instead of having pity parties, instead of bemoaning their fate and griping and complaining, what did they do? They made it a well a well of refreshing. The rain filleth the pools. So what happened? They went from strength to strength. Their strength was encouraged, was bolstered by God and who He is. 
They make God their fountain of refreshment. They trust God and look to Him for help. That which seemed to be a hardship ended up turning into a blessing. They drew water of comfort because their well was filled by God. And their faith brings forth water out of the desert, and thus God blesses them with abundance of rain. This is my paraphrase of Psalm 84 and those verses. Blessed is the man who makes God's way his heart. Even when they pass through a valley of tears, they turn it into a well of refreshing or a well of healing. Instead of crying and kicking your feet and getting upset and wanting your own way and and talking and and being so upset with people, what they've done to you, uh, you make it a valley of healing and refreshing. So that which seemed to be a hardship actually turns into a blessing because they've chosen to dwell in the presence of God. These are wonderful truths, ladies. That if we don't get a hold of them, we'll leave our li- live our lives on that roller coaster ride of emotional ups and downs and ups and downs. And we're not knowing God's refuge. We're not knowing His peace because we're trying to make things happen in our own strength. And we're fussing and fighting and kicking. You know, I can do that. If something doesn't go my way, at times, if I'm not truly having my mind set on the Lord, I can throw a fit. I really, maybe not outwardly, but in my heart, you know, I am stubborn in that way. And God uses trials and testings in my life and in your life. They're all father filtered and they're tailor made. That's the thing. The trials you go through are given to you specifically by God. They're made exactly for you to fit you and your needs in life. So we might as well learn from them and thank God for them. Make God's word your heart. So we had dwelling in a secret place. This is fellowship. Abiding under his shadow. This is protection. Finding his refuge. This is the comfort. And then number four, knowing his deliverance. Knowing This is walking in confidence. This is hope. The definition of hope. Confidence. Remember? Rock solid, divine, confidence. We can walk in confidence. It says in verse 3, Surely he shall deliver us from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. The fowler is any insidious, unsuspecting foe that entraps us. It kind of knocks us off our feet. We get in, we get caught up before we know it, and it knocks us off our feet. And then it says pestilence, that would be dangers, physical and spiritual and emotional, doubts, fears, noisome. That means they plague our minds. So it says, Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. They threaten to take away our security and our confidence. You know, ladies, when you're going through something, the noises that are in your head are so upsetting and distracting. They really are. Why is this happening? I don't understand this. You know, and you you just go through, you know, all the the what ifs and the the if onlys and, and, and I don't understand people. They just make me so mad. And people, 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 if it wasn't for people, I would be happy. You know, well, if you didn't have people, you wouldn't be happy either. You know, but we can get so focused on our own 
problems. They're noises in our heads. And there's no comfort. There's no confidence because we're too focused on ourselves and not focused on the Lord. Uh, He delivers us from that. And as I said, he delivers our hearts and our minds. We may not find ourselves out of that particular trial for a lengthy time, but you can be joyful in that trial because God delivers you as you keep your mind stayed on him. He rescues you from the noisome pestilence that plagues our heart and our mind so often. It requires an exercise of faith, that's for sure. We have to trust him. And then we had dwelling in the secret place. Notice, dwelling in his secret place, abiding under his shadow, finding his refuge, knowing his deliverance. Here again, it's all about him. It's all about him. It's not about us. It's about him. And then number five, the last one, resting underneath his wings. That is being assured all is well. No matter what's happening, all is well. It really is. Often when I would get phone calls last year, as my husband was going through what he was going through, and I'd have friends call me to check up, and they would say, how are, how are you doing, Lynn? And I would say, you know, all is well. All is well. God is with us. He's here. Do I have tears? Yes, I have tears. Do I have moments of fear? Yes, I have moments of fear. But I didn't live there, and that's a testimony to God's faithfulness. Not to me, but that resting that he provided under his wings. Verse 4 says, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. His wings provide a hiding place, a place of protection, a place of refreshing, a place of nourishing and cherishing. Uh, We have a pastor friend down in Phoenix, Arizona, a dear man. He's up in his 80s now. But whenever we get any correspondence from him, written correspondence, he would always sign it. His closing would always be, we're all under the same feathers. Isn't that wonderful? You know Jesus as your Savior? You are under his feathers. You and you. And you, and you, and you, and you. And we're all under this beautiful, loving, caring, all-knowing, almighty God who comforts us and keeps us under his feathers. Um, I heard a story years ago when I was a little girl. Uh, You know, used to, when when you were ever in Sunday school or in uh, VBS and... uh, they would tell stories and they'd have a book and as they would tell the story, they would show the picture and the kid could see what they were talking. Did y'all ever do that? I did. I grew up with that. You know, the, the teacher would be telling a story and it would be uh, a human interest story about, you know, life and correlate it with God, our God. Well, this one particular story, I remember it. And I'll never forget it. This farmer had a nice farm, 
beautiful pond and he had, you know, all the animals on his farm and everything. But one night, something caught fire. I can't remember what. And I can remember seeing it on the pictures of that book as the teacher would be telling. And she was so dramatic. She was so good. She would tell. And it caught fire. And I mean, really, so much of the farm was destroyed in the fire. And the next morning, as he and other people were going around trying to clean up and take care of the fire, he saw, the farmer himself saw something burnt, but it was, you know, a pile kind of on the ground. And he went over there, took a stick, and just started, you know, stirring it around. And, he, and it was one of the hens in, on his farm. And that hen was there, just burnt. But as he moved it around more, underneath that mama hen, all these little chicks started running out. That hen, that mama, and every one of us, of us in here are, who are mamas understand this, protected those babies, and they were safe. Her feathers protected them, and those babies were safe. She died, but they were safe. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Do you realize who your God is? Do you? He loves you. He's protecting you. And even though you go through storms of life, he's there. You can rest underneath his wings. They're there for you. And you can be assured no matter what's going on, all is well. Because it's well with you and your Savior. I hope you know him. I hope he is your Savior. It's so important. That mama hen is a beautiful example of our Lord Jesus who was wounded for us. Because of his promises, ladies, we have hope. If we choose to dwell in his secret place, then his shadow of protection will surround us. At that point, we will experience his comfort, finding him to be all that we need. And we can walk in confidence knowing that he will deliver us from any harm that threatens our soul. This promise or the promised result is peace and rest. And ladies, this is our hope for here and now. May God help us to dwell in the secret place.